I kept getting asked the same question, which is, how can you be so nice and still be successful? There's this crazy perception that if you're nice at work, you're not going to get ahead. Being successful all comes back to relationships. Hi, I'm Claire Wasserman, and you're listening to Lady Talk, a podcast from Ladies Get Paid. We provide education and support to help women level up their careers. We host workshops, webinars, and events. We also have an online network where thousands of women from all around the world come together to share advice, resources, job opportunities, and more. It's free to join, so check us out at ladiesgetpaid.com. Hi, everyone. I'm excited you're with us. Today, I'm talking to Fran Hauser. She is a media executive. Um, She's also a startup investor and the author of the new book, The Myth of the Nice Girl, Achieving a Career You Love Without Becoming a Person You Hate. Um, So in the book, Fran breaks down the perception that basically being nice is incompatible with doing well in business. So it's a guide um, for ambitious women who want to succeed without losing themselves in the process. Um, Basically, you don't have to become someone else or compromise your values to do well at work. Um, And Fran just told me that two days ago, she got some really good news that Amazon selected it as one of their best books of the year in the business category. Um, So they selected 20 books and this was one of them. Uh, Welcome, Fran. I'm so glad that you're part of uh, our podcast today. Hi, Claire. Thanks for having me. Awesome. So where did this myth come from? Um, And is this a personal experience that you had? Basically, bring me back to why you wanted to write the book. So I've been thinking about this book since 2009, so it's been nine years, Um, and I started thinking about it when I was at People Magazine, and I was doing a lot of mentoring. Um, I still do a lot of mentoring. It's one of the the best parts of my professional life, and I kept getting asked the same question, which is, how can you be so nice and still be successful? There's, you know, this crazy perception that if you're nice at work, that you're not going to get ahead you know, that niceness often gets equated with weakness. So I found myself talking about this topic all the time. Um, and really over the last nine years, like I've, I just kind of kept coming back to this question and noodling it. And it was really a blog post that I wrote in January of 2016 for Forbes on the topic um, that it, it ended up becoming one of the most popular blog posts in their mentoring series. And I started hearing from women all around the country talking about this bind that they're in, that if they're too nice, they're considered a pushover. If they're too strong, they're considered a bitch. And, you know, how do they find a happy medium? So for me, it was sort of like the external validation that I needed once I started hearing from women outside of my network. Um, So that was two and a half years ago. And that's when, um, that's when I made the decision to, to start working on the book proposal um, and, and, you know, really get the book out there. To your point of women from all over the world uh, reaching out to you after they read the Forbes article, same experience that I've had with women in the Ladies Get Paid community. Um, I was telling you earlier that I'm so glad we're talking today because I get these questions all the time. um, And I've now used your book as a bit of a reference uh, and how to respond to them. And part of me kind of wants to say, yeah, it's inevitable that you might be in this essentially double bind of being nice can equal not having boundaries uh, and and overworking and, and burning out. And then on the flip side, uh, being perceived as aggressive when you try to be assertive. And so sometimes I just want to say, yeah, this is going to be something that you struggle with for your career. And I'm so glad that in your book, you have real strategies. You know, it's not just a mindset shift, but you kind of break down in this scenario, what do you do? And here are some options. It- 
Yeah, and you know, I'm glad you you say that, Claire, because it was so important to me that this book not just be a mindset book. I mean, mindset Mm -hmm. is definitely part of it, being aware, you know, being conscious um, of how you show up to things and, you know, how you communicate. But it was also really important to me that there are really specific tips and techniques and even scripts. That was something that my editor really pushed me. Like, he, he reviewed every chapter, like chapter by chapter. Um, and he was always pushing me to incorporate more scripts. Like, here's the language that you use in this situation. Um, and I, I think that made the book so much better because it's so actionable. Yeah. So before we get into sort of the major points of the book, um, can you just talk a little bit about the process of writing it? When you decided you wanted to write it, um, starting from creating the proposal to finding a publisher, how long it took you to write the book, uh, you know, give us, give us the lowdown. I, I'm personally curious. Um, and you know, was it, was it easy? I feel like I know the answer to that question. (laughs) Oh my gosh, it was so hard. It was, it was so much harder than I thought it was going to be. You know, it, it always is. And um, the, so here's what, what's great. So for starters, I, I had a really great agent, Ifat Reiskindel. She's at Foundry. And I was actually in conversations with her before I even wrote that blog post. Mm. We were talking about what is the book that I should write. Like I, I, we were, and I was thinking actually about a few different things. I was thinking about like you're you're graduating from college, about to start a career. Like, how do you do that? I, I wanted to write a playbook for kind of launching your career. Um, I was also thinking about writing a book that was really kind of focused on mentoring. So there there were there were a few different, and of course I had the nice topic, in, you know, in 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 my head because that, that that was always there. Um, but so I think I just needed that blog post to sort of help me make the decision and really go all in on this topic. And so the proposal itself took nine months to write. Oh, wow. Um, it, was, it was, yeah, it's long. You know, it's, you, you basically put forth an outline of the book, um, a one-page summary of each chapter. I had two full chapters written, um, you know, competitive analysis, like what other books are out there. And the thing that, that I think really made the proposal special was I spent a lot of time putting together a marketing plan for the book. Mm, like I mm-hmm. think I had like, 20 or 25 pages dedicated to how um, how I would personally get behind the book, both from a social network perspective, but also just from my old media days, right? Like I've I have so many incredible contacts in the media world. Um, I'm you know I made a list of those people. I made a list of people that would provide endorsements for the book. I made a list of people who would throw book parties. Like um, I also made a, a list of people who work at big companies who. I thought would be interested in having me come in and, and speak. Um, so I really put a lot of effort into the marketing plan, and I think that went a long way. My agent sent the proposal out in September of 2016 and basically lined up nine publisher meetings the week before the presidential election. Oh, God. And, you okay. know, I remember that so vividly because um, – you know, that was, if you think about the zeitgeist, right, at that time, it was nasty women. You know, when they go low, we go high. Um, you have to be good to be great. I mean, it was just like the, t- the timing. People say timing is everything. And I think for this book, timing was definitely on my side, you know, in, in terms of getting it sold. Um, I had a few publishers say to me they would not have bid on the book if, if I had brought it to them even like two years earlier. Mm-hmm. Um, so... 
The timing was really important. It did go to auction, which is great. So basically, if you have more than one publisher that's interested, um, that's when it goes to auction. And then, you know, your agent really has negotiating power, which is wonderful. Um, I ended up going with Houghton Mifflin Harcourt. I, I really, um, I loved the fact that they said to me from the very beginning that they were going to make it their lead business book for spring of 2018, which to me meant they were really going to get behind the book, you know, from a marketing perspective. Um, and even editorially, like Rick Wolf, he's, you know, he's an iconic business books editor. He did the Jack Welch books and mm-hmm. so many other, you know, best-selling business books. And he actually also assigned um, a young woman on his team, Rosemary McGinnis, because she was the target audience for the book. So they co-edited the book. Um, so that that was awesome. And it was a really intense process. Like I said, they, they looked at chapter by chapter. Um, I had a great writing partner, Jody Lipper who um, really helped bring the stories out. Um, she asked me the right questions because I've never written a book before, you know, so it was my first time going through the process. So having someone like her who's written, you know, 20 books um, was super helpful. And I'll tell you one of the things that I learned um, that I'd love to share with your community is when I submitted the first chapter to my editors, uh, Rick hated the chapter. Like he, he called me and he's like, this is not going to work. This was after we sold the book. And literally he's like, you have a lot of academic research in here and you're telling stories about other women, but you are not being vulnerable enough. You know, it's your name on the cover of this book. You have to share your failures. Yeah. And I appreciate how vulnerable you were because I think sometimes with these books, um, if it's coming from a place of uh, you know, I figured it out, you know, and in a way it can almost feel intimidating because those who are reading this book, it's like, we're so far away from the successes that you have and you've had some major jobs. Um, and so seeing your process as you've grown in your career makes us see ourselves in you. Um, and then allows us to be vulnerable as we read it. Um, so I really appreciated I really appreciated that. I thought the balance oh, thank you. was really thank good. You. It makes it makes it more relatable, right? I mean, it just makes it more relatable. Like it's because otherwise, it's like, oh, like you said, oh, I have it all figured out. Like I'm still learning. The fact that you know I had that major moment with Rick around, I need to get more vulnerable. You know, it's like you're you're constantly learning and growing. So let's let's move on and just break down uh, a couple of the major parts of this book that resonated um, both with me and I know with our community. Um, so I think there was there was this sentence in there that you said, you know, how is nice your superpower? Um, and, and in a way that was, I think it was in the beginning and it was sort of a, a premise that laid out the rest of this book. So what do you mean by that? How is nice your superpower? Mm-hmm. Yeah, so it's, for, for me, it's a very simple concept. When you're nice to people at work, you earn their trust. And then when they trust you, it allows you to develop a relationship with them. And being successful in business all comes back to relationships. So that's like the very simple, like just a simple way of thinking about it is like you're nice to people, they trust you, you develop a relationship with them, and then it allows you to to be successful. And I think, you know, I share a lot of examples of that in the book. The one that really resonates with me the most is that when I was in my late 20s and I was at Coca-Cola Enterprises, I got promoted into this really big job. Like it was a billion dollar division of Coca-Cola Enterprises. And I was promoted into director of finance. I was going to be overseeing 140 people. um, And there were so many other people that worked there that were 
much more qualified than I was for the job. Like they were in their 40s, they had so much more experience. If you look at their resume, um, they just really fit the mold for the job. And I remember saying to my boss, like, why me? You know, why, why did you choose me? And basically what I learned, you know, what he said to me is that you're great at developing relationships. You're, you're really strong at influencing people to, to get things done. And you have a team that will follow you anywhere. And he didn't say anything about my technical skills, you know, or my functional skills. I'd like to think that I had those too, but he was so focused on like, as a leader, I was going to be leading this big team. He really focused on those relational skills, which for me all come back to being a good person and being nice and really caring about, you know, making connections with people, you know, whether they're people above me, my peers or people that are on my team. So I think when I look at my career and I look at those milestones and I look at those times that I was promoted, it always comes back to that, you know, and it's just, it's such a simple concept. But here's the other thing I would say is you can't, there's a tension, right? Like you, you can't be so nice that you veer into that people pleasing territory. Oh my God. I was literally going to ask you that as my next question. Is that right? <laughs> yeah. Right? yeah. Like, I'm just that... going to be quiet and have you talk because you're so fantastic. <laughs> yeah. But, but that, but that's the thing. Like you can't, you can't go there because if you find yourself in a place where you're just yesing everyone to death and you're doing things for others at your own expense, like you're really, you're catering to others at your own expense, that's when people are not going to take you seriously and you're not, you're not going to gain their respect. So it's just, it's so important that when you show up, if you think about the way you show up into any situation, that you're nice and you're strong. And that's really the whole, like, premise of the book chapter by chapter is you know I talk about like how when you communicate you can communicate in a way that's both kind and direct they're not mutually exclusive you know when you negotiate you can negotiate empathetically and strategically it's sort of just like getting getting women out of this like either or mindset Mm -hmm. um so that's what's really important and it goes back to like being really aware and being really conscious of the way that you are showing up. I share a story in the book that's actually one of my favorites around how a friend of mine at Time Inc. called me out on apologizing. That, you know, she said, Fran, you apologize all the time. Like, do you realize that you do that? And I didn't realize that I was saying, I'm sorry, all the time. And I went into my inbox and I typed the word sorry into the search field and like hundreds of emails came back. And when I started reading them, I realized I was apologizing for the most trivial things. Like, it took me more than four hours to get back to someone. You know, I'm so sorry. It's taken me so long to respond. Like, like that is such a speech weakener, right? Like saying, I'm sorry all the time. If you really hurt somebody, if you're, of course, apologize. But to apologize for things like that, I mean, it's just, it's completely un unproductive. So you just have to be really, really, really aware, like of the amount of space that you're taking up the way that you're showing up, all of that, it really matters. And you can do it in a way where you're both nice and you're strong. It's a little dirty. It's a little raw. Yeah, we talk about uh, speech weakeners a lot and a replacement uh, that I would suggest for anybody who's starting their emails with, I'm sorry, which by the way, to think of that as your first sentence in an email, you're kind of setting right. yourself up to, you know, that's the first impression you're essentially giving. 
And by apologizing for taking four hours to respond back, now you're also demonstrating that you're going to be somebody who responds quickly, and now you're going to have to do that moving forward. <laughs> but, you know, a suggestion, so uh, you know, as a, a speech replacement would be thanks for your patience. Yeah, or like I always say, like, if you get invited to something and you can't go, instead of, you know, starting with, I'm sorry, it's thank, you know, thank you. Thank you for thinking of me. Or if there's like an opportunity that somebody brings to you that, it's just not the right time or the right fit. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for the opportunity. Right. So I agree with you. I feel like thank you is so much stronger than I'm sorry. I think there's an app, a Gmail plugin. Have you heard about this? I, I don't know if it's called yeah. sorry, not sorry or something. Yes, I did it. Oh, <laughs> I actually okay. did it. I downloaded it. I downloaded it for a whole entire, like I used it for like a year just to like wean myself off of saying I'm sorry. <laughs> And it's, it's awesome. And it's interesting how I've been doing that for so long, but I still have to remind myself. And I think that honestly comes back to how we're socialized and undoing that. And so speaking of being socialized, there was this uh, quote that you put in the book, some scientific research that really shocked me, um, which was you said that girls between eight and 12, that's when they first become aware of how others perceive them. And then they start, mm-hmm. quote, camouflaging what they really think and feel in order to better blend in with their peers. Um, when you discovered that, how did, uh, how did that make you feel? Oh, it, it was actually heartbreaking, yeah. truthfully, because it reminded me of my own, I mean, I didn't have a label for it when I was young, but like, I remember going through that myself where like, you don't, you stop raising your hands in the classroom because you don't want to come across as annoying or, you know, or over eager. And you just sort of want to blend in, you know, you just, you just want to like blend in with everyone. That's, that's where the camouflaging term is, is coming from. And I think the other thing that just really kind of, I don't know, it was shocking to me too. And, and upsetting is that so, so often you don't regain your voice until much later in life. So like you lose it when you're that eight to 12 and then you don't get it back for like until after college sometimes. Um, and by the way, I will tell you, Claire, I'm still, still, it's 2018, um, and, I, and I'm talking to like women that are in college, or sometimes I'm speaking at a company where it's like women in their 20s and 30s, um, and do you know, like, I'm still seeing that they have a hard time raising their hand and just asking a question in front of everyone, and that they would rather just come up to me one-on-one and talk to me. I mean, I spoke at a company the other day that men actually attended the talk too, which was pretty awesome. It was like half men, half women. And when it came time to Q and A for Q and A, not one woman raised their hand. It was all the men that raised their hands. Mm. Mm-hmm. That so kind of just sucks still, the energy out of the room too, probably. It sucks the energy out of the room. And it, it's just, you know, there, there's still this like fear of, you know, at, for some women, cause I've, I've talked to women about this. It, it's just such an interesting like topic to understand. So what I hear from some women is that they are afraid, like they, they want to make sure that whatever they say, that it comes out perfectly. So mm-hmm. then they don't just say, they don't say anything at all. They don't say anything at all because it has to be perfect. So that's part of it. You know, the other part of it is sometimes they feel like they're just going to end up getting interrupted anyway, so they don't raise their hand. I mean, there's so much at play. It's a very complex issue, but it does start very young. And one of the things I'm really interested in, too, is from a teacher's perspective. Like, is there something that teachers can be doing in the classroom to really encourage these girls, knowing that they're going through this camouflaging thing, to speak up? You know, is, is there almost like an unconscious bias training that, that teachers should be going through um, just so that they better understand it and, and can, can deal with it? 
Cause, because I, I think you really have to get to it at a very young age. Yeah, I mean, as a manager, um, is a solution to this, um, I wouldn't want to feel like I'm calling somebody out. I mean, how do I encourage somebody to speak up without putting them on the spot? Yeah, I've had to do that a lot. And so a couple things. One is um, I will sometimes give them a heads up before the meeting and I'll say, look, we're, you know, we're going to be talking about this topic. I know you have a really great perspective on it. I'm, I'm going to ask you to share it with the group. That way they can prepare and feel more confident. Um, sometimes, like depending on how, you know, the situation and you just kind of have to read the room. I will say, like, if I, if I know that this woman, if I know that Sarah has an important opinion to share about a topic and she's not speaking up, I might say, like, Sarah, you and I were talking about this the other day, um, and I really I love the way that you're thinking about this. Can you please share it with the group? Um, but I, I do think it's really important. And if you're one of these women who you do have a hard time speaking up, like, especially in a meeting, look at the agenda ahead of time and commit to yourself that you're going to talk about one thing. You know, just, just make that commitment and go into the meeting prepared because I feel like, and I've seen this in my own career, the more you do it, the more you speak up, the easier it gets. It really does. It just, you become more and more confident. So you just have to kind of force yourself to do it. Do you have any tips? Um, so a couple questions here, and it could be in a meeting or other points during the, the workday. If you uh, disagree with somebody, you mentioned that in the mm -hmm. book, how do you voice that? Yeah. So with disagreeing, I think one of the things that I find to be really helpful, this is where empathy comes into play, is really, really, truly understanding their point of view and where it's coming from, you know, and, and, and I do that by asking questions because I really want to, like, tell me a little bit more about that or, how, you know, how, how did you, like, how did you come to that conclusion? Is it, so just asking questions to really, truly understand where they're coming from. And then you can disagree in a way that's still nice. You, you can say, wow, I, you know, I really appreciate that. I really appreciate that perspective. Let me tell you how I'm thinking about it. You know, just if you use those words as opposed to, oh, I completely, you know, I completely disagree with you. Like then you're going to come across as threatening and it's not going to be a productive conversation when you do that. It's just like when you're giving somebody negative feedback. You know, I talk a lot in the book about the amygdala, which is the part of your brain that senses threat. And you usually go into like fight, flight, or freeze. You know, when, when you sense, when the amygdala senses threat, you never want to put somebody in a position where they're feeling threatened. Even if you're like, if you have to give them negative feedback, it's better to start with, I'm your biggest champion, or, you know, I'm your biggest fan, I'm here to support you, and, you know, I, I'd like to share some feedback with you that I, I really hope will be helpful to you in your career. And then be very specific about the feedback, but the way that you start the conversation is everything. Because if you start it in, you know, in a way that's more like, look, there's some things we need to talk about, like, well, right away, the person is going to go into that like fight, flight, or freeze. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So just, just being very like thoughtful about the words that you use and the tone of your voice and, you know, making eye contact and just coming across in a way where you're showing that you really care about, if you're disagreeing, that you really care about their perspective and how they came to it, you know, or if you're giving somebody negative feedback, that you really care about them as a, as a person on your team, you know, and that you're there to support them. And, and, and the strong part is, especially giving negative feedback, be very specific about what the person needs to work on. Because I've had managers that are so nice that they give me feedback, but it's so wishy-washy 
that I don't really know what I'm supposed to be doing. Like, I don't know if that's ever happened to you. You know, yes. like you come out of a performance review and it's like, okay, I know I just got feedback, but I'm not really sure, you know, because then they, they weren't clear enough. So it's, right. it is really. I've gotten the no feedback. You're doing great. You're doing, I'm like, there's gotta yeah, be. Ways that's to even worse. Yeah. Right? I found that, yeah. you know, I'm sort of floating along, like unclear of what I'm supposed to be doing. Um, okay. So let's talk about taking feedback. We get a lot of questions about, uh, and this is sort of also heartbreaking. These women who are doing really well in their careers, um, they're clearly successful, um, but they get negative feedback and it kind of undoes their feelings mm -hmm. uh, of confidence or they have a hard time now focusing on their wins. And now what comes front and center is this sort of one thing, no matter how small it is, of something that they need to work on. And in a way they look at it like it's, you know, just a failure. It's, it's, it's hard to remind yourself that everything is a learning experience. Um, and so how does one work on not having their sense of self be just on you know, totally damaged by this this yeah. hopefully constructive feedback. I mean, I know of course it can depend on on the manager and how well they give it back to them. Um, but yeah, what's some advice you have for taking feedback? Yeah, well, you know, I think a great example of taking feedback is the example that I shared when the editor, my editor, said to me, you know, this this chapter it's not going to work, and you need to be more vulnerable and you know, I automatically went into, oh my God, like, why am I even writing this book? Who am I to be writing this book? Like, you automatically go there into this place of imposter syndrome, whatever you want to call it. Like, and I did, I went there for like a minute and then I took a step back and this is what I call evidence-based confidence, by the way. You know, I looked back on my career and I'm like, okay, wait a second. Like, first of all, you're not a fraud. You should be writing this book. And I literally just like think back to like all of my different accomplishments and the ways that I've added value to the different companies that I've worked for. And sometimes you have to remind yourself of those things. And, and sometimes it's even helpful for me to just kind of write them down and actually look at them, you know, because sometimes I'm, um, I'm going to digress a little bit here, but like if I'm going into a meeting where I'm like, oh my God, I just so don't belong in this meeting. Everybody in this meeting is so brilliant, you know, and, and um, has so much more experience than I do. And I, I, I really don't feel like I belong. Sometimes I will just take a minute and just like write down a few reasons why I do belong and what I can bring to the meeting, you know? And um, so having that purposeful, like self-reflection I find it to be really helpful because it reminds me of like, oh yeah, now I should be doing this. Um, so that's like evidence-based confidence. And also, by the way, if you have more of a growth mindset where you look at it as, um, I, I want to grow, I love growing, I, I just want to keep getting better at things. If you don't get feedback, you're not, you're not going to grow, you're actually going to stagnate. And it's not a good feeling. It's what you said, like getting the, you're doing great, there's like nothing for you to work on. I went through that for like three or four years at Time Inc. when I, like towards the end of my tenure there, um, I was president of digital for like the style and entertainment group. I was overseeing a lot of different brands and I just stopped getting feedback. Like I think sometimes you get so senior that nobody gives you feedback anymore. And I really feel like over those several years, I just, I, I felt like I stagnated a little bit and I really missed getting the feedback. So if you think about it as more of a gift, if you think about it as more of a, wow, this person actually cares enough, because by the way, it's easier to say you're doing a great job, but this person actually cares enough to take a minute and actually think about how they're going to give me this feedback and then deliver the feedback um, and really think of it as more of a, it's a gift. 
and it's and it doesn't it doesn't wash away all of the great things that you've done right it's just going to make you better mm-hmm. so that i think is truly a mindset yeah it's and be proactive a it's a growth mm-hmm. mindset and then seeking it out yeah. too. If you are working for somebody who does one-on-ones very rarely or not at all, or they're not constructive, I mean, you bring your own agenda, you know, you ask them for a one-on-one. Um, just a quick question about boundaries here, because when I think of somebody being nice, I think of somebody who agrees to helping others, um, which could be good for relationship building um, and, and you may mm-hmm. need help. And then, you know, sort of a, a reciprocal thing here, but let's say you're somebody who keeps getting asked for help or extra work and it's really distracting or detracting from what you need to be doing. Um, what can you do to basically say no? Mm-hmm. Yes. And this is so important. Like I, oh my God, I cannot stress this enough because I've been there. I was there earlier on in my career where I was the one who, you know, everyone knew that like I would always say yes and I would stay until midnight and and get the job done and then you end up getting burnt out and you're like no good to anyone so the you know the the advice that I would have is if you're really clear on what your priorities are and you've sat down with your manager and you and you've established what what success looks like for you over the next six months over the next year how you're going to move the needle for the, the company um I would always come back to those priorities and and I would say you know look, here, you know, here are the kind of key things that I'm working on for the year. Um, and I'm really heads down, you know, f- focused on these initiatives. Like, I wish that I could be helpful to you because this project sounds really exciting. Um, but I'm, I'm just really afraid that if I do that, I'm going to take my eye off the ball on my priorities. And I'm not even going to end up doing a really great job for you because I'm just going to be, you know, just overtaxed. Um, so I think if you bring it back to your priorities and how you're how you see yourself adding value to the company, that's a good way to do it. And another thing I would say is if there's a low lift way that you can be helpful, like maybe there's somebody else who would be great to take that on that you could recommend. Like, and it's not passing the buck. It's like maybe there's someone who you know who's really been dying to network with this person um, and and this is a great opportunity for them to network with them, right? Because it's a, it's a project that they would be doing with them. Or So thinking through, like, are there other, other smaller ways that you can be helpful? So it's not just like a flat out no, but it's like, no, but I can like make this introduction, you know, or no, but like I can help promote it on social media. Like what, whatever it is, um, there, there could be a low lift way to, to be helpful if you feel right. that you want to do that or you need to do that. Right. But I would also suggest, I mean, early on in your career, shouldn't you be working a ton? Shouldn't you be raising your hand for, you know, additional projects, taking initiatives, um, saying yes to more things. So, um, you know, I've struggled to find that balance, but I I kind of have a a kind of contrary view on this, at least in the beginning of your career, where you should be going above and beyond and stretching yourself. But, you know, to what end? Um, so what are, what are your thoughts yeah. about how you begin your career? You know, the difference between taking initiative yeah. and overextending yourself. I agree. I think very early on in my career, I was definitely the person who raised my hand. Um, and I think it served me really well because, you know, I got on some pretty high profile projects. I got to work with people that were in very powerful positions. Um, and frankly, you know, also at that time, like my career, my job, it was my number one priority. I wasn't married yet. I didn't have kids yet. And, you know, this, this changes as you go through your life, right? Like 
what's important to me now is very different than what was important to me even 20, you know, 20 years ago. So um, I think that in, when you're first starting out your career, yes, 1,000%, um, you, should be, you should be going all in. If you're ambitious, if you're driven, if, you, if it matters to you that you, know, you want to get ahead, you, you eventually want to be in the C-suite, or if you're more entrepreneurial, you want to build an incredible you know, company that you end up exiting and making a lot of money, whatever that looks like for you. Um, yes. I mean, I, I worked until midnight, two o'clock in the morning for like, for, you know, a long time, um, early on in my career. And, but I think the difference is clear that I wanted to, you know, like the, I, I wanted to, like, if, if there was something that I really felt like, okay, wow, now I feel like I'm being taken advantage of number one, number two, I don't think saying yes is actually going to be helpful to me in my career. I think that's where you kind of have to like, you know, step up and, and feel comfortable with the past, you know, with, with saying no. Um, but there were often times where I really wanted to be on the project. It didn't matter to me that I was going to be working later. I, you know, it was somebody who I really wanted to work with. I wanted to be helpful. And I felt that it could be helpful to me in my career. So you, you have to be asking yourself these questions, right, all the time. Um, and it, it is. It's a, it's a delicate balance for sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What are some of your favorite stories? Um, not to make you pick one, but uh, some of the ones that you love talking about. Well, I love talking about my mother, um, who is an Italian immigrant, and we moved to Mount Kisco, New York, when I was two. I'm the oldest of four, and she started a tailoring business. Um, you know, she she's a seamstress, and um, I always say that I learned about kindness and strength from her because. I watched her with her clients. You know, I would I would go um, into her little tiny tiny little shop. It was so cute um, in Mount Kisco, and I would go with her often, and I would see like how charming and how kind she was, and the way that she looked at her clients, and the way that she sort of like touched their shoulders and made that like physical connection with them. Um, but at the same time, like when she had to be firm, like say I don't know somebody wasn't paying, you know, their their bills or. Um, she could also just be like very firm with them in a way that was still kind, you know, like she, she just, she was never a jerk. Mm -hmm. I never saw her be a jerk ever. Um, so I really, I really do feel that I, I learned this concept of kindness and strength coexisting, um, through her. And like, she was a small businesswoman, very, very, very Mm -hmm. different from what I've done, you know, throughout my career. Um, but there are so many parallels. So I think that for me, that's my, that's my favorite story because I just love my mother so much. And, um, she's just been such an inspiration to me, you know, throughout my entire whole entire life. She still is. Mm. So I love that story. Is there any one takeaway, if anything, what do you want us to know? So here's what I'm going to, so we already talked about kindness and strength and the mindset of kindness and strength. So what I would say, because this is more practical is empathy. So for me, a practical application of empathy is any situation that you go into where you need to negotiate with someone or you are having a conversation where you're trying to influence somebody to do something, always try to get into the other person's head. Make that like the first thing that you do because often we go into these conversations with uh, like, oh my God, here are the three things that I have to come out with, you know, like these are the three things that I, I, once I leave this, when I leave this conversation, I have to, you know, have these objectives um, fulfilled. And if you instead go into it with really trying to get into the other person's head 
and asking them questions and understanding what's driving them, what's motivating them, what their values are, what's important to them. I am telling you, like, you'll end up getting what you want. And, but it starts with getting into the other person's head. So that's just like a practical thing that you can sort of visualize, like any time that you're, that you're, that you're going into to a, a negotiation or even just like a conversation. Um, that's what I would say. Correct me if I'm wrong, but I think women tend to be really good at having empathy. Um, so mm-hmm. this goes against the whole premise of you have to, you know, you can't be nice to do well in business. And in fact, what you're saying is women may have a bit of an edge here in doing well in business. Um, we just haven't embraced it yet because business has been created by and for men. Um, and so we think yeah. that is the status quo, which it is. Um, but I love that your book basically turns it on its head. Um, super, super, super appreciative that you've been here with us. Um, I have a feeling we're going to get a lot of emails um, about about this episode. So, how can people find you? Find the book? Follow you? Um, tell us what yeah. we do those next steps. Yes, thank you, thank you. So, um, Instagram and Twitter is um, at Fran underscore Hauser H A U S E R, and my website is franhauser.com. And the book is available everywhere, Amazon, Audible, bookstores. Um, and, you know, I would love for anyone who buys the book and reads it, please connect with me on LinkedIn or Instagram or Twitter, anywhere, and just let me know what you think. I love hearing from women that have read the book. Well, thank you all so much for spending your time with us today. We know time is money and you were with us and we're super appreciative. If you are not a member of Ladies Get Paid yet, shame on you. (laughs) So you can find us at ladiesgetpaid.com backslash join, totally free to be part of our network. We've got an online network where, gosh, at this point, it's about 30,000 women from all over the world are coming together to share resources, support each other, jobs, talking about their salaries, Um, a lot of the anxieties that Fran covers in the book and hearing from them. Thank you all for listening. I'm Claire Wasserman and this is Lady Talk. Until next time.